following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, uh, open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Now, some of you probably have no idea where that is at, and that's okay. Um, 1 Thessalonians is on the right-hand side of your actual tangible Bible, and it is a little book. It is actually a letter. So in the New Testament, you have four Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you're going to get into some bigger letters like Romans, and you're going to get into First and Second Corinthians, and then uh, you're going to keep going, and you're going to go eat popcorn. That's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I've, I've remembered that since I was a kid. Um, and then you're going to get into First Thessalonians. Now, um, the people who have put together Bibles have uh, a really neat thing. It's called the Table of Contents. And so if you can't find 1 Thessalonians, no matter how much you're flipping through, it is in the table of contents. And um, in my Bible, it is on page 986. So I don't know if that helps you at all, but it helps me. So 1 Thessalonians is where we are at this morning. And as you're looking for 1 Thessalonians, or maybe you have found it, um, it's interesting. I guided you there much like a GPS, how many of you use GPS? Just curiosity, everybody, right, uses GPS? I remember when GPS first came out, um, it was interesting. Uh, the person that I was with that will remain nameless, it was my dad, um, was in the car, and he said, I used to have one woman in the car telling me what to do, and now I have two women in the car. Um, and I remember those days uh, because... Uh, my mom and the GPS would fight with each other, right? And then um, how many of you remember atlases? My dad would actually like open up the atlas and he would put it on his lap while he was driving. And he would just like, and I mean, like it was up to here. And he would just look over to make sure we're still going in the right direction. It's funny how many people use GPS. We would be lost without it. It tells us where to go in our journeys. It helps us. It even recalculates our route if we take a wrong turn. There's these step-by-step instructions. And GPS has gotten a little bit more advanced. You can have it in any language, and now you can do it actually in any accent. So there's a Scottish man in my car that tells me where to go. I'm eternally grateful for him. (laughs) When I was studying 1 Thessalonians, I was thinking how much the Bible is like a GPS. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've heard this before, but the Bible has been used as an acronym before, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And I think that as we go to God's Word, we realize just how much it helps us, it navigates these twists and turns that we have in life. There's all of these pieces of information that are in the text, like, How do you 
have proper God-honoring relationships? And what does it look like when people are upset with you or there's adversity? Or, or how do I live with this hope that Jesus is coming back again soon? He said that for a long time. And what does that mean for us? So we kind of move into Thessalonians and we, we power up like this GPS and we look at it and we say, okay, God, here you go. Direct our hearts and our minds and actions because this is going to be a, a long journey for us, a couple of months in First Thessalonians and a couple more months in Second Thessalonians, and it will be good for us as God will direct our steps. Now, let's give a little background. Let's go to uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Big numbers are going to be the chapters, and the smaller numbers are going to be the verses. And you're going to get some introduction in the first two verse, actually in the first verse, excuse me, uh, about Thessalonians. Thessalonians, like I said, is a letter, and it is written primarily to encourage and instruct a church that had just been planted. These people are called Thessalonian believers. They would not call themselves Christians. They would let the world call them Christians. They would say, we follow Jesus, and they are experiencing trials and tribulations because they are followers of Christ. Paul is our author. We'll get to him in just a second. He addresses some really specific questions about Christ's second coming. He talks about the fate because some of these believers in this church had people die. And they wondered, what happened to our loved ones? Where did they go after they died? And Paul says, we'll we'll answer that. We'll look at that. And then a lot of them, because of the persecution that's taking place, look at it and say, well, how do we live holy lives? How do we live a life that is honoring and glorifying to the Lord? That's a good question. Those are all good questions. And so here comes Paul, and he provides to a church that he helped plant, if not planted himself, some insight on their challenges. He's going to teach on ethics and holiness and Jesus coming back again soon. So chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, Silvanus, excuse me, and Timothy. Now, there's our authors. I thought we only had one. Well, Paul's first, so let's talk about him first. First Thessalonians is written by a man named Paul. Paul is his Roman or Greek name. You may know him as Saul, which is his Jewish name. Some people think that Paul, after he came to know Jesus, stayed Paul and was changed to Saul. That's not true. Actually, it's believed that his name was interchanged depending on whether or not he's talking to Gentiles or to Jews. So if he was talking to Jews, he would probably go off of Saul. If he was talking to Gentiles, he would probably go by Paul. And he is in Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. A lot of the biblical text in regards to the New Testament text takes place in New Testament, uh, or in current day, excuse me, Turkey. Paul is a Jewish, uh, is from a Jewish family, excuse me. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was raised to be a Pharisee. His family looked at Paul and they said, Paul, we know your destination. You're a smart kid. You are at the the head of the class. You're the valedictorian and you need to become a Pharisee. And Paul did it. He became a Pharisee, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. And that's the reason why Paul pens one third of the New Testament text is because he knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. As a matter of fact, it's believed that Paul would have had the whole entire Old Testament memorized. Can you imagine? 
And when he starts to talk about what happened to him on this road to Damascus, the risen Jesus Christ sits there and he looks at Paul and he says, Paul, you are mad at these Christians because you think they're abolishing Judaism. And Paul even held the coats for a man named Stephen as he was killed. And as Stephen was killed, Paul had a little smile on his face because he used to persecute the church. He didn't want the church to happen. The risen Christ meets him. He says, why are you persecuting the church? Paul has no answer except to realize that Jesus is real. He turns from his sin. He repents. He comes to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, goes from persecuting the church to populating it. Anybody can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Anyone. The hardest of the hard. Paul goes from a persecutor to a populator of the church, and he's a church planner. And when he pens the New Testament text, he puts Jesus in all of the Old Testament for Jew and for Gentile. And so Paul starts to plant all of these churches. And as he plants these churches, he starts to write all of these letters. And he is with a man named Silvanus. We're just going to call him Silas from here on out. You guys good with that? Okay, just make it a little bit shorter. Silas is a companion or a co-worker that travels with Paul on all of his missionary journeys. So Paul and Silas are church-planting brothers in Christ. Then they bring on Timothy, because you always got to have somebody younger with you who's going to help do the work too as well, right? So Timothy is a young man that Paul led to Christ, and we learn about that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Timothy goes with Paul all over the place on these missionary journeys, and Paul gives him leadership responsibilities because the church is not about Paul, the church is not about Silas, the church is about Jesus. And so people are equipped, based off their spiritual gifting, to tell people about Jesus. Now, if you were in Thessalonica and you received this letter, you would realize that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are the top three most well-respected well-known missionaries by believers given authority by God. This is huge. Whoa. Okay, what do we know about Thessalonica? To the church, verse one, of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church of the Thessalonians, or another way to word that is those gathered at Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a commercial city. It was located in Macedonia, which is present-day Greece. And the church, after being founded by Paul in his second missionary journey, which we learn about in Acts 17, anytime you are reading a New Testament letter, go back to the book of Acts, and it will give you a massive amount of information about that specific letter. So in regards to 1 Thessalonians, Acts chapter 17 is our connection piece. So if you want to, you can write in your Bibles, and you can put Acts 17, 1 through 9. Paul plants the church, and he leaves quickly because persecution comes. But even with him being absent, the church thrives. And many believers there are predominantly converted Gentiles, and the church has a basic structure in place. There's leadership in the church. As a matter of fact, this church is doing fantastic, carrying on the mission of making Christ known near and far. As a matter of fact, as I studied 1 Thessalonians, I started thinking about community gospel. There are so many things that are the same between Thessalonica back then and community gospel today. They are a healthy church. If you jump over into Revelation, there's letters written to seven churches. 
a lot of those churches aren't doing really well. Paul looks at it and he says, Thessalonica, you are a model for other churches to follow. I believe that with all of my heart about community gospel. I think you guys are doing fantastic. Now, Paul gives a little bit of an intent here, too. Look at in verse 1, very end of verse 1. He says, grace to you and peace. Now, Paul is known for doing this, this greeting, this grace. Grace is the word charis in Greek. And what he's doing is he's reminding the believers who are gathered of what they receive from God, his loving kindness in the gift of forgiveness by salvation through faith in Christ. You should tell yourself every single morning, it is by grace that I have been saved through faith. Remind yourself of the grace that has been given to us by God. Then he says peace, which is the word Irene, which reminds the church that the peace of God comes through Christ to his followers as they live out that faith in an evil world. So grace is a Greek greeting for Paul to the Gentiles, and peace is a Jewish greeting by Saul to the Jews. He's hitting both groups of people at one time, reminding them of the salvation they received through Christ. Now, the amazing thing is, grace is the undeserved favor via Christ's work on the cross, and peace is felt grace. It's what gives these Thessalonians quiet confidence in order to experience joy. Sometimes you need to tell your face what your heart received. Amen? Because some people are walking around like, I know Jesus, and you're like, I don't think you told your face that. Paul says, you, Thessalonians, are joyful people living in the unlimited possibilities of the inheritance that you have found in Christ. Salvation through Christ is not something we cash in on when we die. Salvation through Christ is something that we have access to here and now. The inheritance that God has given to you in Jesus Christ is available to you today. Okay, so there's the introduction. We got through one verse. Amen. All right. Now, Paul's going to move into some effects of the gospel in these Thessalonians' lives. Verse 2. We, that's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, give thanks to God always for you. We love you, and we mention you in our prayers. Now, what Paul's doing is he's going to unpack what is happening because of the gospel that they have received. Paul's going to look at these believers and he's going to say, hey, let me show you some things that have have happened that have transformed your life because of what God has done. The first one is in verse 2. It has moved you from being jaded to being joyful. It has moved you from being jaded to joyful. We, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, rejoice over the Thessalonian believers because you are a source of joy to us. Community Gospel, you are a source of joy to Bethany and I. When you evangelize and share your faith, when you edify and build up each other, we are so excited. We get so happy about those things that transpire in your life. And what Paul is doing is the same thing that we do every night almost. We thank God. We express our gratitude to God for what he is doing in your life. Paul is expressing his gratitude to God for what he is doing there. How many times, just curiosity, do you thank the Lord for the people of God that he has placed in your life? 
Now, I know some of us, right, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm super thankful. And we say that to God, but we fail to do the horizontal work and tell them thank you as well. Do that this week. Text message somebody, say, hey, I'm so grateful over the fact that God has put you in my life. Praising the Lord should never be a sporadic or an occasional act, but Paul shows us this is something that happens constant and continuous in all areas of life. He cannot help but be grateful and rejoice over what God has done, and the Thessalonians are in the same boat. You know, it's funny, we just talked about the fact that Carolyn Mosier went to be with the Lord. Their family is rejoicing over the fact that she is in the presence of our Savior, You would think this would be a very somber time. And yes, while people are grieving, we are experiencing joy because we know where our hope lies. And Paul's saying, I thank God for the fact that you know that. I'm excited for what is going on in your life. You used to be jaded, and now you're joyful. Now look at verse 3. He says, we also remember before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope In our Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things, he's saying the gospel is bringing out your best. Let me tell you something, church. If you are living a life for Jesus Christ, the gospel will bring out your best. And sometimes that spirit that is within you will awaken some other uh, people's demons. Okay? And don't be upset about that. We'll get to persecution in a little bit. But look at the three characteristics that the Thessalonian believers impressed Paul. They are their faith, the work of Christ. Christ brought transformation into their lives. Chapter one, verse nine, if you wanna jump down there, he says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reputation we had among you. You are faithful people. Number two, we also know your love for Christ, which helps them stay focused while they were persecuted. Verse six, if you jump down in there, it says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. And then the third thing, steadfastness of hope. You were awaiting the return of Christ from heaven, even when burdened. Now church, track with me here for a second. This is sharing the gospel 101. I want you to be people of faith. You made a decision to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You placed your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. That was that moment in time. Then you moved into the present where you transferred the love that you had for yourself, which is selfish, idolatry, love, and you gave it over to the Lord because of what he has done for you. Then, after that, you placed your hope in the fact that Christ would come back again soon. Yes, these three things all exist at one time for us as believers, but they also are markers for us in regards to when we came children of God, where we give our love to, and where our hope is anchored in. I think it's really interesting. Paul just walks through who they used to be, who they are now, and who they will be in eternity. These are all the essential virtues of a believer. And he says, hold on to these things. You have all three of these. No wonder Paul and Silas and Timothy were grateful for them. Now, here's my question. Is community gospel known for being faithful, loving, hopeful people? Is that something we're known for? Is that something you're known for in your workplace? Or are you somebody who is kind of cantankerous, which just means angry? Right? Are you somebody who looks at it and goes, oh, everything is bad. 
the, the sky is falling? Or do we look at this and we say, because of the faith that I have received, I'm going to realize that Jesus is working in this situation. Because of the love that God has demonstrated to me, I'm going to love in return. Even the unlovable, right? There's some people in your family where you go, man, Lord, it's going to take a miracle for me to love them today. Amen? Only by the help of the Holy Spirit do I love you. By the way, don't put that on your Christmas presents this year. Don't put, it is only by the grace of God that you got this gift. I just wouldn't do that, all right? Verse four, we know brothers. Now, uh, if you want to circle that word brothers, that's a really interesting word that Paul says. Uh, Saul, who used to persecute the church, would never call people brothers. That is a term of endearment. He's like calling him like family. He's saying, hey, I love you, brothers and sisters in Christ. You are my family, verse four. Loved by God that he has chosen you. So Paul, knowing their faith, and their love and their hope uses a term of endearment for those who share the free gift of the Holy Spirit, who are loved by God and emphasizes that this love from God was nothing in them, but it was all because of what Christ has done in us. Now, Paul's proof of that love was that God chose them. Now, this is kind of another sermon for another day, all right? But the word chosen, we're going to hit on it just, just for a second, is the word in English, election. And the doctrine of election is taught all throughout the Bible. You cannot run from it. It is taught in Deuteronomy chapter 4, chapter 7. Uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about it in chapter 44. Romans 9, Paul addresses it to the church in Rome, to the church in Ephesus and Colossians. And even in the next letter of the Thessalonians, Paul addresses this doctrine of election. And the Bible says all over the place that God chooses those who believe but it also says that we have a choice. So which one is it? Do I have a choice or does God choose? You want the answer? Yes. <laughs> they go hand and in hand. And when we look at this, we realize that divine election and human responsibility, even though they're difficult, have to be affirmed because both are taught in Scripture. And they do not contradict each other. What do we do then? We let that be. Because I realize, as I stand on the door of salvation, the front of that door says, come to me, all who are weary, broken, and tired. Make the choice to follow Jesus Christ. And so I walk through that door, and then I look back, and I realize the other side of that door says, chosen by the Most High. Same door, but yet two different signs. What we need to focus on here is the big picture. Remember, when we study Scripture, it's like an onion. First goes to chapter. Chapter goes to book, book goes to genre, genre goes to testament, testament goes to the entire Bible. And in context, what Paul is saying here is, you need to focus on your responsibility now and let God explain it to you in eternity. What we know to be true is that God knows. And here, the Thessalonians responded to that gospel, which proved God chose them for salvation. It's funny to me how many people who are non-believers don't like the doctrine of election. But for us as believers, we kind of love it, right? And so we look at non-believers and we say, well, you can change your mind. Just accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you're chosen. And they look at us and say, it's really that, e it's really that easy, right? And you don't have to be so mad or cantankerous. So here, Paul says, you accepted the gospel and you became transformed, and because you became transformed, you started testifying about this gospel, and it started spreading. 
The gospel transformed the Thessalonians so much that they started to give testimony of their faith. Look at verse 5. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. We modeled the gospel well so that you could model the gospel to other people. What is the gospel? The gospel is simple, that Christ came, that Christ died, and Christ rose again. He ascended to the right hand of God. If you confess with your mouth that you are a sinner and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's the gospel. It is amazing to me how many believers in our society today cannot articulate what the gospel is and how to come to a relationship with God through faith in Christ. The Thessalonians had it down. As a matter of fact, they were good at it. And in verse 5, their testimony had words and actions. They received the word, that is the gospel, It took root in their hearts, that's faith. It empowered them to live a God-honoring life because of what the Holy Spirit did. It wasn't what they said or did. And they had full conviction that Paul and Silas and Timothy brought them a gospel that wasn't their own opinion or wasn't their own philosophy. The gospel is not your opinion. The gospel is not your philosophy. And you do not have to be concerned if somebody else rejects that because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. Our evangelism is so much easier when we realize I'm just a messenger to the gospel. You have to make the choice on whom you will serve. And it brought so much deep conviction to their life. It changed them. It changed Paul. It changed Silas. It changed Timothy. And here we see the value of mutual edification. We see the value of church and we see the value of people populating a place together. Paul's sad he cannot be present. The church is glad because they can gather and realize that our hope is going to be that one day we will all gather together and be in the sight of the physical presence of God. Mutual edification that is happening here between Paul and the church creates a vibrant, thriving community of believers who are mutually invested in each other's spiritual development. Let me say it a different way. You cannot say you love Jesus And hate the church. You cannot say, I love the Lord, but I don't like church. It doesn't work like that. The Bible clearly says that if you love the Lord, you love the Lord's people. If you love Jesus, you love Jesus' people. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And the Thessalonian church is welcoming people, and they're seeing people come to know the, the word, and they're seeing people come to know the Lord, and they're also seeing suffering because of that. Now, when we talk in Thessalonians for the next upcoming weeks, the persecution that the Thessalonian church is experiencing is solely off of their sharing of their faith and their building up of other people. We in the American church look at it so much and we say, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus' sake. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you are not out there sharing your faith, and if you're not building up God's church, and you just have problems in your life, your problems may be, and I say this with as much love as I possibly can, your problems in this world may be your own sin, and not your pursuit of sanctification being set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the letter to the Corinthians, by the way. That's kind of what they're experiencing. But look at verse 6. Paul says, because of this, 
because of the fact you became imitators of us in the Lord, you received the word in much affliction. There's persecution, pain, problems. But even in those pain and problems with the joy of the Holy Spirit, who was with you in those times of afflictions. So in Jesus, the Thessalonians became missionaries like Paul. Full transparency, I'm just going to get this out there right now. I love Betsy, and I love the fact that we wore the same shorts at the, at the interview. I don't know if you caught that or not, but it wasn't planned, all right? As a matter of fact, I texted her, and I was like, did you realize that I wore the same shorts that you wore? And she's like, absolutely, 100%. I love what Betsy's doing. I love what Autumn's doing. I love what all of our missionaries are doing out there. But I tell them this all the time. I wish we could call you something different. Because everybody who's a follower of Jesus is a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of times where we look at people and we're like, oh, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do those things. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's operate off of our giftedness, really. We all are called to joyfully share the gospel as missionaries, even when we suffer because of that. Now, what's happening is this is the natural progression of Christian maturity. There's another letter in the Bible in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and it says, For this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We share the gospel and we're like, you want to go to heaven? You get to go to heaven. But we fail to mention these verses, right? We fail to look at these things. To follow Jesus is a call to come and die and to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Jesus wasn't accepted and received, we might not be accepted and received. In all of the Thessalonians' missionary efforts to evangelize, they faced severe persecution, suffering, opposition from Jew and Gentile, but they remained joyful knowing their source of joy was being forgiven through faith in Christ and that the Holy Spirit was at work in their life. In other words, external hardships couldn't change the joy that they had in them because of Christ. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 15. He says, I pray that God, who is the source of hope, would fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then, because you trust in him, you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7. So that you became an example. Now watch this. This is, this is amazing. This is amazing. Look what happens. Because they're suffering for the gospel, Paul says, you probably think you're not being uh, proactive. You probably think things aren't happening or transpiring. You probably think that, that it's just central to you. But look at verse 7. He says, so that you may become an example of all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. What? The Thessalonians' testimony was so great that it started reaching other parts of the South. The Thessalonian believers were a model for other believers to imitate. Specifically, Paul's like, I wish you would uh, tell the Corinthians what to do, right? Because Corinthians, they're, they're rough. I'm glad I have a church of Thessalonians and not of Corinthians, just FYI, right? But he said, you're a model of sacrificial giving. You are so amazing. I, that's my prayer for our church. That our testimony just rings out. It goes into Bremen and, and to Napanee and to South Bend and to Chicago and to New York and all over the place. That people would look at it and they would say, what is going on at Community Gospel Church? We're just preaching God's word. Somebody asked me the other day, said, hey, what's your worship like? I said, biblical. 
I said, I don't know. A couple people have asked me, they're like, what's your church like? I'm like, I don't know, fun? I don't know, frustrating, fulfilling, a lot of F words that, (laughs) problem. I'm sorry. (laughs) Verse eight. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acadia, but your faith has gone out everywhere. Isn't that amazing? He says, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. To your neighborhoods, it has extended so far. And then I love the second part of verse eight. He says, we don't even have to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reputation we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Amen, praise the Lord. Community gospel, I want that to be your testimony, that you turned from serving idols to serving the living and true God. And that you're waiting, verse 10, for his son from heaven, whom has raised, he has raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The call here is a testimony to sound forth the gospel. Now, sounding forth is like when the phone goes off in the middle of service. And if that was you, I'm sorry. It didn't happen this morning. It happens all the time, though, right? As a matter of fact, one time I was preaching, and I had my uh, watch on, and it said, I don't understand what you're saying. And I was like, what? What is happening here? It's like the cutting through in a complete silence. Paul says, you cut through. You have a, a ringing sound, a trumpet blast, a reverberating that just does amazing things. God's work among the Thessalonians became known all over the region. The Thessalonian believers were so effective, he didn't even have to say anything. Commentator Clark says it like this. He says, the mere preaching of the gospel, which was done in Thessalonians, I had to kind of condense this quote, of the gospel did much to convince and to convert sinners. That's words. But he also says, the lives of the sincere followers of Christ and the truth of the doctrines that were present did more. In other words, what they said, they did. They practiced what they preached. They talked like Jesus, they walked like Jesus, and they acted like Jesus. Spurgeon said of 1 Thessalonians, everybody would ask, what in the world happened to these Thessalonians? These people have broken their idols. They worship one God. They trust in Jesus. They're no longer drunkens. They're no longer dishonest. They're no longer impure. They're no longer contentious. Everybody talked about what had taken place among these converted people. Oh, for conversions, plentiful, clear, singular, and manifest, so the word of God may sound out. I love Jesus, but I want to live like Jesus too. And so I just look at those first 10 verses, and I'm like, man, what a great GPS that is, right? What a great like, way to recalculate where we're at and bring us back to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just brings us back to the foundation. You know, everybody wants to have a church like the New Testament. No, I don't think you do, actually. I think you'd hate it. Because the church in the New Testament, they didn't have access to baths and showers. And for one, it would just stink in that congregation. But when I hear people say that, what I hear them saying is, we want to go back to the foundational principles. Well, that's easy. Share your faith and encourage other believers, and watch radical life change happen in your life. So the call here is to be like the Thessalonian believers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
serving as living testimonies of the gospel's power, shining brightly like a spiritual GPS, pointing others to the transformative grace that is found in Christ alone, who delivers us from the wrath to come and provides us with mutual, mutual edification to all who believe. This is the foundation of our faith. And so we go to prayer now as we start to pull up our chair to the seat of the Lord's table and ask him to do a great work. Heavenly Father, your truth is so cutting. It just goes straight past our skin and just hits the bone. And it calls us to conform to the image of Christ. And if you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, that's your first step. God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He shed his blood on the cross for my sin. I place my faith and trust in you. I transfer the love of myself over to loving you. I want to serve you. I am hopeful about the fact that you will come again. For us who are believers who have wandered away from the call to make Christ known, we return this morning asking God to help us be unapologetically unashamed of the gospel. To radically transform our life, to remove the grip maybe that you have on idols. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some endeavor that you're, you want so bad right now. Maybe it's something you're chasing that is not what God wants you to chase. Lord, help us to never lose our first love, which is you. God, we ask that as we approach your table, that you would do a great work in our hearts to recalibrate and realign to the call that we all have to make your son Jesus known, to teach the things that we have been taught, to implement them daily. Help our lives to be radically transformed. May we be dependent upon not our own efforts, but what the Holy Spirit is able to do when we can depend upon him. God, give us the ability to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength as we come to your table this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.